right. Wow. I think we should just take up the offering right now. How about that? Let's just pass the bags. We'll take it up. I got to hear that all three services. It was great every time. I love when those guys sing. Hey, you got a Bible? I want you to take it and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me hear a lot of pages turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to conclude our special November stewardship series called The New ABCs of Financial Freedom uh, this morning. If you're a guest with us while we're turning there, if you're a guest with us today, hey, we are so glad you're here. We really love to welcome guests into our services each week. Let me just tell you that every year in the month of November, we take some time, about four weeks, to talk real honestly, openly, and unapologetically about money and money management from a biblical perspective. That's what we call stewardship. And uh, on the final weekend of that, I always have a giving challenge, a very specific giving challenge to our church family. And I tell you that because if you're a guest, I don't want you to worry at all about that commitment card that's in the bulletin. That's not for you. That's for our church members and those who are longtime attenders. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I just don't want you to worry about it. We're just glad you're here. I think there's something in this message for you, even if it's your first time, because this is going to come straight from the Scriptures. Now, as I mentioned, this year, <coughs> excuse me, our study is called The New ABCs of Financial Freedom, and the tagline is Stop Playing Games with God's Money. And as we began this study a few weeks ago, we began where we always begin when we talk about stewardship, and that is with the most fundamental rule of stewardship, which is everything, everyone say everything, everything belongs to God. Everything. The Bible makes that clear. Look at these words on the screen from Psalm 24 and verse 1. The psalmist says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. There might be times in our lives when we think that we're owners. We think we own our home or we think we own our car or cars or other material possessions. We might think we own our bank accounts or our investment accounts. But here's the deal. If we believe the Bible is true... Everything belongs to God, and we'll never be owners. We'll only be stewards. We'll only have the challenge to handle what God has given to us in a way that honors Him. And the implication of that is this. If everything belongs to God and we're just stewards, then every single spending decision we make in our lives is a spiritual decision. I want you to think about that for a minute let it sink in. If it's true... That everything belongs to God. That's what the Bible says. And we are just stewards or managers of what he's entrusted to us. Then every single spending decision we make is a spiritual decision. And so we need to make sure that we have a plan to spend God's money in a way that honors him. And that's the basis of this study that we do every November. That's the essence of stewardship. So it's the new ABCs of financial freedom. We began a few weeks ago with letter A and we talked about attitude. You can't be a good steward unless you have the right attitude toward God's money. And then we moved on. The next week we let, looked at letter B, and we talked about bondage. Sometimes when we have the wrong attitude toward money, it creates different levels of bondage in our lives, financial bondage in our lives. And the one we talked about in particular was the bondage of debt. And I hope you were here that weekend because that's a really important message. We live in a, in a country, in a culture that's mired in debt mired in debt. And the Bible tells us that uh, that bondage in our lives, it tells us that the borrower is servant to the lender when that's the reality of our lives, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. Then last week I was gone, but my son Andrew filled the pulpit and he talked about letter C, which was choice. We need to choose 
to use what God has entrusted to us in a way that honors God. Well, what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to go to letter D and talk about decision. And I just want to take what Andrew talked to you about last week uh, to the next level. And I want to talk to you about being a generous giver today. That's the title of the message, how to be a generous giver. And I'm unapologetic about this because I believe this is a part of God's instruction for us. So if you got your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 9, everybody there? I want to invite you wherever you are. By the way, I want to welcome the folks across the street, the video venue, and you joining us online. Just stand wherever you are, like we always do, in reverence and respect for God's Word. If you're a guest, we do this every week. We make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service. And I want you to follow along as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Paul writes and says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. All right, may God add his blessing to that reading from his word. You can go ahead and be seated. Let's talk about this passage for just a minute. We don't have a lot of time to spend on context Excuse me today, but let's talk about this for a minute. One of the reasons why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, one of the things that he does in 2 Corinthians as he writes this letter to the believers in Corinth, as he follows up on a fundraising campaign rather that he had begun in a previous letter. A fundraising campaign he had begun in a previous letter. The fundraising was to help the church in Jerusalem, which if you know the book of Acts, was the very first church. It was started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Church in Jerusalem was struggling deeply because they were suffering some horrific persecution, and it resulted in some real financial hardships there. So Paul was raising money from other churches to help the church in Jerusalem, and the church in Corinth had promised to be a part of that. They said they would take up an offering to participate in that fundraising, but by the time we read this passage, they hadn't taken up the offering yet. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians to remind them about taking up the offering, and he takes advantage of the opportunity to give them some teaching about giving, and in particular to teach them about generous giving. You know, I've told you over the years, as we've talked about how important it is to read and study the Bible, I've told you that one of the things that you need to do when you read the Bible is you need to pay attention to what you're reading and see if the writer uses the same word or words over again if there's repetition, because if there is, then that gives you a clue to what he's trying to talk to you about. Now, when I read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11, I see four times in the passage, four times Paul uses the word generous, generously, or generosity. Generous, generously, or generosity. And that's like a, a wake-up call to me that, he's talk, that that's what he's talking about. He's talking about being generous here. I mean, that, that's the way the passage begins. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, here it is. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So this is a passage about generous giving. And Paul makes it real simple. In fact, here's the deal. Even though we are looking at verse 6 through 11, if I look at verse 7... I see in that one single verse four guidelines for being a generous giver. 
four guidelines, very simple. And what we're going to do with your outline this morning, is we're, just gonna, we're going to just walk through that verse, and I'm going to tell you four things about generous giving, four guidelines to be a generous giver. So if you're taking notes, let's dive right in, and I'll give you the first one. Right down next to number one, in your insert, Paul tells us that generous giving is personal. Write that down next to number one. Generous giving is personal. Now look back at verse 7. This is how it begins. Paul writes and says, each man should give. We'll stop right there. Generous giving is personal. It's clear when you read that passage, and Paul begins with those words, that Paul expected every single believer in the church in Corinth to contribute something to this offering for Jerusalem. And here's the deal. I want you to understand this about the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was just like every church. The church in Corinth, in a way, was just like this church today. And what I mean by that is in the church in Corinth, there were people who had a little and there were people who had a lot. In the church in Corinth, there were slaves. In the church in Corinth, there were working class people. And in the church in Corinth, there were wealthy people, just like in our church today. People who have a little and people who have a lot. But Paul's expectation is that regardless of whether you had a little or a lot or you're somewhere in between, every single person was going to contribute to the offering and everyone was going to give. Everyone was going to give generously. Now, I don't think Paul expected everyone to give the same amount, but he expected them to give and to give generously. Why? Well, there's a lot of ways you can answer that question, but I think the simplest answer is that they couldn't be considered a generous church if some of them refused to give. And the same is true for the church today. The same is true for this church today. Generosity, in other words, begins with every single one of us. Every Christian, the Bible makes this clear, every Christian, every follower of Christ is expected to give when it comes to the ministry of the local church. And there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. I think all of us would agree when it comes to the local church that everybody should contribute something. It's not always going to be the same, but everyone should contribute something to the ministry of the church, the ministry that's making a difference in the community and through mission partners around the world. But the truth is that's not what happens in the local church. Most surveys reveal that in in any given local church, there are 30 to 40% of the people who never give anything to support the ministry of that church. They don't even give anything to support any local charities, not just the church, but beyond that. I think sometimes in a large church, there are people who think, well, I have such a little amount to give that it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter. But let me tell you something, it does. Every single gift matters. Every single gift matters on a practical level because every gift helps the church accomplish its work and its mission in the world. But in addition to that, every single gift matters on a spiritual level because if we're going to experience the blessing of God's promise that's found in this passage of Scripture, then we all need to embrace the responsibility of giving. We all need to give. First of all, giving is personal. No one is exempt from it. Write this down next to number two. The second thing Paul tells us about generous giving is he says generous giving is thoughtful. That's number two. Generous giving is thoughtful. If you look back there at verse 7 again, then the verse begins like this. Each man should give There's the personal part, and then he goes on to say what he has decided, and that's the key phrase. Each man should give, here it is, what he has decided. This is how we give. In other words, we don't give impulsively. We don't give haphazardly. We think about what we give. We consider our income. We consider our assets. We talk it over with our spouse or someone that we trust for wise counsel, and we pray. We certainly pray for God and ask 
him for direction when it comes to our giving. That's how we give. That's how generous giving happens. If your pattern of giving is to wait until the offering bags are passed later in the service and then you see what's in your wallet or your purse, then the truth is you're probably not giving in a generous way. You're probably not being generous. Now, the question always comes up to me when we talk about this part of giving. Well, pastor, exactly how much should we give? Because, you know, I mean, a lot of us are people who we like things spelled out to us really clearly. and We want specific information. How much? What, what constitutes generous giving? What's the formula that we use in our lives to decide what generosity really looks like? And that creates a real dilemma and a real debate for a lot of Christians. Because if we look in our Bibles, we see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's some really different teaching when it comes to giving. Uh, in the Old Testament, for example, uh, God is really clear with his people about how much they are to give. He talks about the giving of a tithe, right? Everyone say right. A tithe. And that's a word that simply means a tenth part. That's easy to understand. We're to give a tenth. In fact, God's people in the Old Testament didn't just give one tithe. They gave multiple tithes. Some of them were annual, and one of them came around only every three years. And so if you do the math, they were giving far more than 10%. But let's just think about the tithe from the perspective of 10%. The Old Testament makes that really clear. Well, you get to the New Testament, and it's different. Remember, we're New Testament Christians today. We're not Old Testament Christians. Do we understand that? If, if you don't understand that, let me make it real simple for you. You open up your Bible, you have an Old Testament and a New Testament. Well, you could take the word covenant or the word agreement and substitute it for the word testament, and that's what you've got. In the Bible, you've got an old covenant or an old agreement about what God wants and a new covenant and a new agreement about what God wants, okay? In the Old Testament, it involved following the law. In the New Testament, it involves experiencing God's grace. And it's a wonderful thing that we're New Testament Christians and not Old Testament Christians. But in the New Testament... When, it talks, when we, we talk about giving, we're not given details. We're not given amounts. We're not given percentages like we are in the Old Testament. So that creates a lot of dilemma. Instead, New Testament giving is described. Here's how I understand it, okay? I think New Testament giving is best described by words, not amounts or percentages. Let me, let me show you what I mean. And there's lots of words we could use, but I'm going to choose three. And I'm going to choose these three words because we find them in close proximity to our passage today. And so the first word I would say that the New Testament uses to describe our giving is sacrificial. Right? You should write that down in your notes. And while you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just look across the page at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay? And in the first three verses, I see this reality of sacrificial giving because Paul writes, and he's writing again about this offering for the church in Jerusalem, and he's talking about the way some Macedonian churches gave, and look at what he says about them. He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Listen to verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, what word would you just use to describe that kind of giving? Sacrifice, sacrificial. New Testament giving is sacrificial. Another word that comes to mind is the word opportunity. New Testament giving is defined by opportunity. If you, I stopped reading in verse 3. Look at verse 4. He goes on to say, they urgently, again about these Macedonian churches, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this experience to the saints. And so I think that opportunity is a good word to describe New Testament giving because New Testament giving is not just, you know, prescribed for one 
specific moment in time each week or each month or whatever. New Testament giving is something that we participate in whenever we encounter a need. Whenever we have the opportunity to meet the need in somebody else's life, it can happen all the time. Let me give you one more word and then we'll move on. And that's the word proportional or proportion. That's another way to describe New Testament giving. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's not that far back to your left from where we are. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is uh, talking to the church in Corinth in another letter. And listen to what he says to them. He says, now about the collection for God's people. This is verses 1 and 2. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And the key phrase there was, in keeping with his income. Proportion. Proportional giving. That's the way New Testament giving is described. So what do we do? We're talking about generous giving is thoughtful. Well, we think about how God has blessed us, and we, in turn, we give back to God in proportion to the blessing that we have received. And so what you have is very different, very different views. So in the Old Testament, uh, giving is really clear because it's prescribed by a percentage, by the word tithe. In the New Testament, it's not so clear. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we give? How do we determine what generosity and generous giving really looks like? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning that I, I am a New Testament Christian. I in no way feel obligated to follow the Old Testament law, but I believe in the tithe. I believe in tithe with all my heart. I believe in giving that tenth part. And, and, and I believe, listen, I want you to follow this with me, okay? But I, I believe one of the reasons, perhaps, why you don't read much about the tithe in the New Testament, I say not much because Jesus actually acknowledges the reality of the tithe in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 in a conversation he's having with the religious leaders. But I think one of the reasons why you don't read much about the tithe in the New Testament is because I think the people were already doing it. I believe that. Now, hear me out. Remember, the early believers in the New Testament church were all Jews, and they would have been tithing their entire lives. Why would we think that they wouldn't bring that same practice with them into the church when it came to giving and generosity? And so I think there's a strong possibility, and I'm going to, again, underline this, and I want you to listen to me. This is my belief. This is my belief. But I think there's a strong possibility that when Paul writes about generous giving, he had in mind the giving of a tithe, that 10%, as the starting point because the giving of a tithe reflects generosity. It reflects other things as well. First of all, I think it reflects the truth that God has first place in our lives. That's a, that was a big part of the concept of the giving of a tithe that God has first place in our financial lives. And so we give to him right from the top, right from the very beginning. We give to him what the proverb writer calls first fruit offerings. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, the proverb writer says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Or in other words, we give to God first. That's a real big concept with the giving of the tithe. Another thing that I think is reflected in the giving of the tithe is that the giving of a tithe reflects a shared level of sacrifice among God's people. It doesn't reflect an equal amount because all of us have different incomes, but it reflects an equal sacrifice. So I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe in the giving of a tithe as a place where generosity begins and then flows on from there. 
In fact, I'll, I'll just be real personal with you this morning. I, I'll tell you that my wife Sandy and I, we believe in tithing. We believed in that for a long time. But even saying that doesn't reflect the whole truth. Because the whole truth is, we believe in beginning with the tithe, and actually, we believe in giving over and above the tithe, that the tithe is simply the place to begin. And we've been doing that personally in our lives for years. We also believe in giving first to the local church where we serve and where we attend and where we grow and where we minister. We support other ministries and we support other ministry opportunities financially, but only after we give to the local church, never instead of giving to the local church. Now, during my entire ministry, people have always pushed back at me on some level against the idea of giving a tithe because they'll say, well, pastor, I just don't believe it because I believe it's exclusive to the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. Well, I'll tell you this morning, but my belief is certainly that the tithe was prominent in the Old Testament, but I don't think it was exclusive to the Old Testament because Jesus mentions it in Matthew 23, 23, and because, as I said, I believe in the strong possibility that the Jewish believers who were the beginning of the New Testament church brought the concept of tithing with them to the early days of the church, and that's how they practiced generosity. Now, having said that, I want to tell you something. You listen to me close. If you want to disagree with me about that, that's absolutely okay with me. It won't bother me for a moment, and it won't be a test of fellowship with us or anything. I'm just teaching you, and in good spiritual conscience today, I'm telling you exactly what I believe. It doesn't have to be an essential truth for us that we all have to agree on, though. But I believe that the giving of a tithe is where you begin when it comes to generosity, and then generosity flows from there. When we did our last capital expansion here at Mount Pleasant, when we uh, bought the property, the houses behind us, and we extended our parking lot to the south, and we built the maintenance building and the community ministry center, and we built these classrooms over here. I I stood up here on on a weekend, and I said, listen, normally when we did something like this that was going to cost a lot of money, we would do a capital stewardship campaign to pay for it. I don't know if you've ever been through a capital stewardship campaign or not. I've been through multiple ones in my life in ministry. But basically, to summarize it, is that we would ask the people in our church to make a commitment to give over and above their regular giving as much as they could for a period of time, maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe as long as three years. And that's where the money would come to pay for the expansion that we were doing so we didn't have to go to the bank and borrow a lot of money and go deep into debt. But I stood up here and I said, I don't want to do that. I really didn't want to do it. So here's what we're going to do instead. And I gave you a date. And I said, we've got several months leading up to this date. And on that date, we're going to come together. We're going to take up a one-time offering, a one-weekend offering. I'm going to challenge you to give as generously as possible. And we're going to use that money to help underwrite the cost of this expansion. Do you remember that? We had that date. And it came and we gave on that one weekend, you gave $1.2 million in one offering toward that. We took up our regular offering. And then we took up the special offering. And you gave $1.2 million. Isn't that incredible? Now, I don't know what you did to plan for that, but here's what we did at my house. I came home one day, and this was weighing on my heart how we were going to participate in this because I, I wanted us to participate in a significant way. So we came home one day, and I said, Honey, and I started that way. I said, Honey, <laughs> here's what we're going to do. This is going to be the year of extreme savings for you and me. Extreme savings. And what that meant was this. We were going to look at the money that we had coming in. We were going to look at what our 
expenses were, just our living expenses, including our regular over and above the tithe gift to the local church. And we were going to take every bit of the margin that we had left over, every dollar, we're going to set it aside for that offering. So we weren't going to do extra things. We're going to set all that money aside for that offering. And we did that for several months. And so when the offering came around, we had the ability to give a significant amount of money to that offering. And the only reason why I tell you that story is because I want to tell you how I view generous giving. It begins with the tithe, and it flows from there. I also want you to know that I would never ask you to do anything when it came to giving that I wouldn't be willing to do myself first. Never. I would never do that. This is what I believe about thoughtful giving. It starts with the tithe, and it flows from there. I, I, I really see that 10% as kind of an eternal principle where we give to God first right off the top, and it reflects an equal shared sacrifice among God's people, and I think that's an important way to define generosity. The truth is, surveys show that the average Christian uh, in the local church gives somewhere in the neighborhood of 2%, maybe up to 2.5%. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote about New Testament giving and he described it as being sacrificial and opportunistic and in proportion with our income. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. All right, let me give you a, a third uh, truth about uh, generous giving. Uh, Paul teaches us in this passage that generous giving is passionate. Number one, it's personal. Number two, it's thoughtful. Number three, he tells us it's passionate. Again, we go back to verse 7. He says, each man should give. Now, note this, what he has decided in his heart to give. We need to be thoughtful about our giving, but we need to be passionate about it as well. It needs to come from the heart. And here's why. If our giving is nothing more than a cold calculation with regard to finances, then it probably is not going to qualify as generous. I told you earlier that four times in this passage, Paul uses the word generous or generously or generosity. That word generous, it's a great word in the original language of the New Testament. It's the word eulogia. And literally translated, it means open-hearted. It, it's a word that's used sometimes to, to describe praise. That's, that's the way our giving should be described. We need to be passionate about the things that we support with God's money. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that I have no hesitation in giving money to this local church because I am so passionate about this church and the ministry of this local church. And I don't have time this morning to tell you all the different ways this church makes an impact in this community and around the world through our mission partners. But Friday night, we had Celebration of Abundance, and we had hundreds of people in here in two different sessions, gave away hundreds of bags of food, hundreds of frozen turkeys. I stood up here with my Bible open to Luke 17, and I shared from the Scriptures with the people that were gathered here a lesson and message about being thankful and how being thankful can lead to a deeper experience with God. And those people from our community, they were engaged in that. They were a part of it. We had a connection. It was such a blessing. I came back a few weeks ago from a board meeting for Central India Christian Mission. You know that Ajay and Indu Law have been living link partners of ours in India for over 25 years. And I'm a part of the board for that mission. And it's always a blessing to hear uh, Ajay give his ministry report. And one of the things that stood out for me is that this year, in 2015, Central India Christian Mission will plant 300 new churches that will reach approximately 65,000 people who are lost and a long way from God. Now, this is incredible because that, that adds to the fact that they've already planted over 1,500 churches over the years. And, and we could talk about what's happening in Poland and what's happening in Mexico and we could talk about what's happening in Canada and what's happening in other places where our ministry influences 
uh, in ministry influence reaches around the world through the dollars that we're able to send and the, mis and the mission support we're able to provide. We need to be passionate about what we do with God's money when we give it away. We need to feel something. We need to, we need to feel thankfulness that God has blessed us in a way that we can give. We need to feel compassion for the people that we're serving and the people we're able to help. We need to feel a hopeful expectation about receiving a blessing back from God. We can even feel a twinge of anxiety when we give as long as that doesn't last for a long time. But the bottom line is if you don't feel anything when you give, you're probably not being generous. I really believe that. Number four, write this down. Paul says generous giving is cheerful. It's cheerful. Verse 7 again says each man should give. There's giving is personal. What he has decided, giving is thoughtful. In his heart to give, giving is passionate. And then he goes on to say not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful. Everyone say cheerful. Cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. We need to be joyful when we give. We need to have a spirit of joy when we give. If we give just out of a sense of duty or you give just because I've made you feel guilty, which, by the way, is never my motivation, or you give because you're afraid God will punish you if you don't, then you probably are better off not giving anything at all. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I don't think it's possible to be generous and grouchy at the same time. Do you? Those things... They don't go together, generosity and being grouchy or grumpy. Sometimes I hear people, hear people say, you need to give till it hurts. You ever heard that? Give till it hurts. And they're probably talking, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and say they're probably talking about sacrificial giving when they say that. And maybe there are times when we should give till it hurts. But I would rather say we should give until it feels good. That's how we should give. That's passionate giving. And that's a good way to describe generous giving. We, we give until we feel good about how we're honoring God with what he's entrusted to us. And that's, so, that's Paul's simple instruction about generous giving. It's personal, it's thoughtful, it's passionate, and it's cheerful. I don't think anybody can not understand that. Now, in the rest of the passage, he goes on to say three things, and I'll put it up real quickly on the, the screen so you can see it. He says that when we do this, that God is able to meet our needs. He says that in verse 8. He says when we do this, this God will enlarge the harvest of our righteousness in verse 10. And he says when we do this, God will help us to become even more generous over time, and that will result in many people giving thanks to God. It's a great passage of Scripture about generosity. Let me close with two real quick things, and then Brian will come and we'll sing. You know, the first thing is this, and let's just get real personal for a minute, okay? I know this morning that giving, especially the idea of giving a tithe, giving 10% of your income back to God, is an anxious and an intimidating thing for some people. Now listen, it's an anxious and intimidating thing for people who have very little, who are having a hard time making ends meet. But let's consider this, it's also oftentimes an anxious and intimidating thing for people who have a lot because you're talking about a lot of money when you're talking about giving away 10%, when you're talking about making a commitment to tithe. And it doesn't seem to make sense from a worldly financial standpoint because when you think in life about getting more, you don't think about giving away to get. But here's one thing I've learned over the years from the scriptures and from practical experience when it comes to this, the ways of the world. And in this context, we're talking about the financial ways of the world. God's ways are different. And God's economy is different than the world's economy. And God's economy does say when you give, you get. 
Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel this morning. Did you hear me say that? Because I think the prosperity gospel is horrible. I think it's horrible. I don't think that you should misuse these instructions from the scriptures and you should give in a selfish way just to try to get. But I do believe this, that when you give, that God will give back to you in some way. It might come back financially, but it might not. It might be another way that he gives back to you. I think God has blessed my life over and over again in abundant ways that didn't have anything to do with finances. And I believe that with all my heart. But this is God's economy. When you give, you get. But here's the deal. You won't experience that until you take a step of faith. We don't experience the reality, the real truth, that God's ways are different until we take a step of faith. We just don't. That's not how it happens. Now, the second thing I will tell you is this. And I'm just going to, from personal experience, I will tell you that I, I know for a fact that God is faithful to multiply back to you what you give to him. My very first church um, was a church in, uh, I told you before, in a, sub- a suburb of Houston, Texas called Sugarland. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. It's kind of on the southwest side of Houston. I was 23 years old, had 30 people meeting in a Bible study, and had absolutely no clue what I was doing. Absolutely no clue. No help from the outside, no supporting church somewhere or an evangelistic association that was helping me try to make this easier. It was just like get up and survive every day. That was kind of the mentality. And uh, Sandy and I spent 11 years of our life in that church, and it never got to be a big church. The biggest it ever got to be was about 250 people on the weekend. But I loved that church with all my heart. It was such a great experience. Well, back in those days, every time we would come around to the budget cycle when you were going to do the budget, how many of you remember this? We have a budget, and we'd have an all-church congregational meeting after a service. So like after the service today, we'd, say our, we'd dismiss the service and say, hang around for an all-church meeting. And we'd put every detail of the budget out there for everybody to see, including how much money you paid the preacher. It was all there. And everybody would get to give input. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Really miss those days. (laughs) Well, every year, back when we got to that budget cycle, there was one elder in the church who would come up to me every year without fail, and he'd he'd say the same thing to me every year. He'd say it with a smile on his face. He said, you know, Pastor, um, we believe that preachers should be two things. Preachers should be poor, and preachers should be humble. And he would say to me, if you take care of staying humble, we'll take care of keeping you poor. He would say it to me every single year. And he would say it to me with a smile on his face. But I'm telling you, deep down inside, he meant it. He meant it. And that was the reality of our life for a long time. And that, that got inside my head for a long time. And it really affected me financially. And it affected me primarily when it came to being generous. And I wasn't a very generous person for a long time. But thankfully for me, God got a hold of my heart and taught me different. He taught me the truth from his word about handling money and about what God's will was when it came to stewardship, whether you had a little bit or a lot. And our life changed dramatically as a result of that. And I can tell you today, fast forward 35 years later, and here I am with you, okay? And church is probably going to have somewhere around 35, 3,600 people, okay? Not my little church of 30 people anymore. Here I am with you. And I can tell you that God has blessed and provided for my family over the years in unimaginable ways, things that I never dreamed would happen or dreamed possible. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about that. I, don't, I, I live a modest life. We live a modest life. 
church takes good care of me, but I don't want to paint the wrong uh, uh, image there, but in unbelievable ways. I have been more places and done more things than I ever thought that I would experience in my life. Somebody asked me a while back, because I'm getting older, hey, do you have a bucket list of things that you would really like to do uh, someday? And I said, I don't have a bucket list because I've already done more things and been more places than I ever thought. I don't want to mess it up by writing it down. I've enjoyed the surprise along the way. But I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this, God is faithful to multiply what you give to him back to you in ways that you never even imagined. But it takes a step of faith on your part. It takes generosity on your part. Now, you'll notice in your bulletin, as I mentioned earlier today, that there is a giving commitment card. We put these in the bulletin every year on this uh, Sunday of the year when we talk about the final weekend of our stewardship series. And it's a challenge with regard to giving. It's a challenge to either start tithing faithfully at Mount Pleasant and give offerings over and above that as the Lord blesses, or to continue to tithe faithfully at Mount Pleasant and give offerings over and above that as the Lord blesses. Now, I'm going to challenge you to accept this. You don't have to. We don't, we don't take a record and make a notation of who does or who doesn't. I will never know. Listen, I will never know whether you've filled this out or you threw it away in the garbage. I will never know. It will never have an impact on me with regard to you, okay? But I'm going to challenge you to do this. If you're able to do this today, then I'm going to challenge you to do it today and drop it in the offering bag when it's passed. If you want to take it home and you want to be thoughtful about it and prayerful about it, I, I completely celebrate that. You take it home. But you do this over this next seven days and over the Thanksgiving holiday and you think about all that God has done for you. You pray about this decision, this commitment, and then you bring it back if you're ready to and drop it in the offering bag next uh, next week or the week after if you're going to be out of town next weekend. I'm going to challenge you to do this. I'm going to challenge you to take a step toward being a generous giver maybe like you've never taken before. I guarantee you God is able to multiply back to you whatever you give him in faith. Give him a chance to do it.